Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I don't know how many of you remember what it was like learning to ride a bicycle. And I have some very vivid memories around that time of learning to ride a bicycle, how something that seemed so impossible to balance on two thin tires, how something that seemed so impossible has now become very natural and almost second nature. Well, if you ever want to relive that, you should purchase or acquire or build what's called a backwards bicycle. And there's some great videos online that you can watch. And it it is, as the name describes, it's backwards. So the bike looks like any other bike. It has tires, it has brakes, it has handlebars. But if you move the handlebars right, the front tire is going to go left. And if you move the handlebars left, the front wheel is going to go right. And so it's completely backwards. And as I watched these videos and, and had some great laughs about it and wondered what it would be like, what it would feel like to ride that bicycle, I go, wait, I already know what it's like to do that because that's a pretty good metaphor of what it's like to lead people. If you've ever had people, and and not only leading people, but pleasing people. So in dealing with people, it seems that everything is backwards. As a leader, sometimes you try to get people's actions to go right, but their reactions go left. Or in pleasing people, sometimes we want their opinions to go left, but they, they swing right. And it's hard to find our balance in dealing with the opinions and the actions of other people. And just about the time we think we find balance, we hit a bump in the road and we crash. But certainly in dealing with people, it seems that we're never able to sit back and just enjoy the ride. So we're dealing with anxiety, lessons from the end of the rope, seven people in the Scripture who got so riddled with anxiousness that they asked God, just take my life. I would rather die than to go on living like this. And the first person we're going to look at today is Moses. And his anxiety was rooted in dealing with leading and trying to please people. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 this morning. And, and let me... Um, Let me also put in a plug here for my midweek updates. Every week on Wednesday, 11 o'clock, a midweek update rolls out on Facebook, and if you're a church member, it gets uh, sent to your email address. Talk about three things to know, two chapters in the Bible to read, one way to pray as a church. And so right now, two chapters at a time going through the Bible, we're in the book of Numbers. Let me encourage you, if you're not reading the Scripture, The midweek update is just a good touchstone of having a place to intentionally read the Bible with other people and get a bit of explanation. So this is Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 4. Let me read a couple of verses, and I'll give us some context here. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing, and they said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, and now we have lost our appetite. We have never seen anything, we never see anything but this manna. Okay, so what's happening here? Moses had gone into Egypt and he'd brought the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. 
They were now free people crossing the Sinai Peninsula on their way to the Promised Land. They'd been together now for about a year. And as you live with other people, something begins to happen. You kind of start to get on one another's nerves here. Now, God had miraculously provided for his people by by giving them manna every day. They could go out and collect it. Manna is just a Hebrew word that basically means whatchamacallit. They didn't know what to call it, so they called it whatchamacallit. So after they ate this manna, it started to, to get a little bit old on them. They, they started, um, you know, by boiling it, and then they fried it, and then they, um, and when they had the Hebrew state fair, they put ice cream in it and deep fried that, and, you know, they made manna every way they know how, and they were getting tired of this manna. On top of that, they were starting to get on one another's nerves. The word here is rabble, the rabble among the people. So this is the only time this particular word is used in the Scripture, and rabble is the opposite of a riot. So a riot is when everyone gets together and they cause a big fuss, but a rabble is when people start whispering. We would say sniping. Uh, You know what a group of porcupines is called? A, A group of more than one porcupines is called a prickle of porcupines. Well, these people were getting prickly around one another. They were getting tired of one another, they were getting tired of food, and they craved meat. So here Moses, as the leader, feels this complaint, and he feels the weight of it on him, okay? Now, what Moses is fighting against here, well, I'll tell you what, let's read the next passage, and we'll talk about what he's fighting against. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. Okay, so he feels the weight of this on him. Moses is dealing with their memories. He's dealing with their mind. The people are wanting the good old days, but I want you to notice how their memory is selective. They say, oh, we remember going to the Nile. We could, we could fish for all the perch that we wanted. We had our own gardens, melons and cucumbers, and there was a big variety of food, and now we have the monotony of this manna. So he was dealing with their minds, but Moses was also contesting with their stomachs. There's as many as a million Israelites traveling through the desert, and just to provide that much food for that many people is a stress in and of itself, and that's why God provided the manna. The largest whales in the ocean, by the way, and take the great humpback whales, will eat about 20 million tons of krill every day. That's the caloric equivalent to eating 80,000 Big Macs, okay? Those whales have a big appetite. So these people have a big appetite, and it's not being satisfied. I love what William James says. William James says, the art of wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. The art of wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. But Moses couldn't overlook this. The people's nostalgia, the people's appetites, it got too much for him. It says the Lord was angry and Moses was deeply troubled. And so notice what he does here. Verse 17, he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? He feels the weight of it right here. What have I done to displease you 
that you put the burden of this people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on an oath to our ancestors? Where can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me now if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. So here's the good and the bad about what Moses does here. Moses prays. You know what? Um, I've discovered the most necessary component to a prayer life is need. If you say, well, I wrestle with praying and praying regularly, it tells me, and by the way, I've said that too, it tells me that I I feel pretty self-sufficient, that I really don't need God. The moment you have a need, your prayer life will excel. No one will need to teach you how to do it or what to do or how long to spend. If you have that need, prayer becomes very natural. And so here Moses brings his um, unedited, unscripted, unrefined prayer to God. And notice the words he used. Did I conceive these people? Did I give birth? Did I carry them? You know what he's saying is? These people are a bunch of babies, is basically what he says before God. So um, I love that First Baptist Tulsa is not a complaining church. I mean, are, are there people who snipe every now and then? Certainly you're going to have that when, when people are together. But by and large, First Baptist Tulsa is not a complaining church. And believe me, I'm grateful for that. But I have noticed in our culture that we have become a more complaining culture, and if we're not careful, that will infiltrate into the church. So let me give you an example of this, that that as people are coming to our church and asking questions, they want to know where the church stands on certain issues. And here's just a, a small list. LGBT Q plus issues, gender roles in the home and in leadership, inclusion, a church's political leanings, do they support candidates, and if so, which one? And so as people come into a church, they kind of bring this checklist of, I want to make sure this church lines up with where I am, okay? Now, if you look at that list, and many of them are important, do you notice what's missing? Jesus. What would it be like to just choose a church based on do we worship Jesus and do we serve others in his name? Because it's possible to take the right stand on these issues but yet serve no one. So do we follow Jesus and the way of Jesus together? Let's make sure that our culture does not become a place of complaining. Let's make sure that our culture becomes a place where we are simply surrendering to the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's being overly simplistic. I don't know, but I would rather just try to worship Jesus than make an idol out of all these issues. So so there's the good. Moses pours out himself in prayer. Now, here's the bad thing, and you you see it here in Moses' prayer, and this is the benefit of just praying whatever we need to pray before the Lord because sometimes it reveals some things to us. Moses, what's causing him is anxiety. 
is not so much the people's request for meat, although that is a factor, but Moses is dealing here with his own self-importance. God, did I conceive these people? Do I have to carry them? Notice that God never asked Moses to carry the people of Israel. He said, I want you to lead, but you let me carry them. So listen to this very carefully. Anxiety is not always a sin, but anxiety is always a signal. Anxiety is not always a sin. That's what we do with it. But anxiety is always a signal that we are carrying, especially with people, more than what we are meant to carry. So here's a question I have for you. And I want to make sure I phrase this right, and so I'm going to read this question because I think this is the most important question of this teaching of this morning. Are there things in my life that I'm doing right now that consistently cause my anxiety to go up? I want you to spend some time with that question. In fact, I would encourage you to write it down. Are there things in my life that I do consistently that is causing my anxiety to go up. Can I mention three that we might need to deal with? One is our consumption and our overconsumption of news. Now, I'm not against the media. I think we ought to be informed. But when we become addicted to watching whatever our favorite news channel is and we take all that stuff in, and whether right or left, you know, to get an overexposure that is not healthy, what, what informs us forms us. And many times people are causing their anxiety to go up because they're over-consuming news. If it's something that you're consistently doing that's causing you anxiety, stop. Okay? It's pretty much that easy. Why don't you just say, I'm only going to give myself 15 minutes of news media a day. That's it. Okay? Something else that we do consistently that might cause our anxiety to go up. Letting our minds get away from us. Uh, some dangerous times for me is when I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about the day, right? I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm combing my hair, which I don't comb anymore, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I start stewing on things and the drive into work. Those are two times where I'm very vulnerable to just letting my mind get away from me and I start imagining all these things. That's something I consistently do that causes my anxiety to go up, so I've learned to mitigate that. One thing I do is I consume audiobooks like nobody's business. So instead of that time in the car being idle time, I'm actually hearing some good history, some good biography, and I'm keeping my mind off of those things that are going to stress me out. And by the way, it's just my own imaginings. Let me mention one more, and this is addressed directly to those of you who have yet to return on Sunday morning and are still pretty much holed up at home. And there are some reasons for that for people's health, but... I've talked to many, many people lately that they openly acknowledge my isolation has caused my anxiety to go up. If you're consistently isolating yourself and it's causing your anxiety to go up, it's time to push back against that. You need to get out of your house. You need to be around other people. You need to engage socially. If isolation is causing your anxiety to go up, you need to push back against that. By the way, I'm starting a new community group. We are starting a new community group here at this church on June 5th. If you've not been around people, this is a great ground level opportunity to be around other people. June 5th, 945 Fellowship Hall. 
start being around other people again. And you might discover as you serve other people, your anxiety goes down. Is there something you're doing consistently that's causing your anxiety to go up? For Moses, that was yes. He was taking on too much with this group of people. So the account goes on from here. Now, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit in this text because what God says is, okay, the people want meat. Moses, I'm going to provide meat for these people. And Moses says, I don't see how this is even possible. They're in the Sinai Peninsula. They're far from any trade routes. How are you going to provide food for a million-plus people? And verse 23 is a good verse. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Is the Lord's arm too short? Is there anything that God can't do? Now, before we go into this next part, there's a word I want you to know. It's a Hebrew word. I think one of the most important Hebrew words to know from the Older Testament, and it's the word ruach, R-U-A-C-H. Okay, so in English, we have different words for spirit and wind and breath. Hebrew doesn't have the variety of words, so a lot of words do double, triple duty in Hebrew, and, and you know what the word is by the context. So the word ruach can mean wind, it can mean breath, it can mean spirit, okay? So uh, in Genesis 1, when it says that, that the Spirit of God hovered over the water, the ruach of God hovered over the water, and God breathed life. He breathed breath into the man. He breathed ruach. Okay. So that word ruach shows up twice here in this passage. And it's, uh, again, God giving um, his spirit and also causing a wind to stir. God begins to do some things. First thing God is going to do is, with his ruach, give Moses some support. Okay, I'm going to jump down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said about this promised meat. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent of meeting. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with him and took some of the spirit, the ruach that was on Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. And the spirit, the ruach, rested on them and they prophesied, but they did not do so again. So this was a life lesson to Moses. Hey, you're going to have support around you now, okay? You know what? If you deal with complaining people, people that are always upset, here's, here's a little hack. Here's a little trick. Give them something to do. Uh, if somebody complains to you about, well, well, somebody ought to do this, go, great, that's your job. When do you want to take it on? Give people something to do because I've, I've discovered people who serve are not typically the same people who complain, in fact, Jonathan Swift, who wrote Gulliver's Travels, uh, he would never hire a servant unless they passed the flinch test. And what he'd do is say to this servant who's considering hiring, he's like, I'm going to ask you to wash this other servant's shoes. And if that servant didn't want to wash another servant's shoes and they flinched, he wouldn't hire them. He was looking for people who knew how to serve and, and just serve in whatever capacity, big or small. That's the kind of people that God surrounded Moses with. And Moses needed to grow up a little bit to see that he couldn't do it all by himself. And he needed other people. So God's Spirit brought support. And God's Spirit also brought 
supply, the supply of the meat that was promised down to verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord, a ruach went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. So let me stop here for just a minute. Even to this day, there are quail that migrate over the Sinai Peninsula at a certain time of year. And it's such a long flight that as they grow tired, sometimes they drop exhausted to the ground and they're easy to catch. What that tells me is that even before Moses fielded the complaints of the people, even before the people knew they had a desire for meat, God was already working a solution. In fact, you could argue that as he gave these quail their instinct and they had migrated this way over millions of years that God was preparing them to intersect the Israelites at a certain point in time and at a certain point in history. I know that sounds crazy, but is the arm of the Lord too short? No. And so here the quail on their migration intersect the Israelites at just the right point. So um, a wind went out from the Lord, drove the quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep in all direction. All that day and all the next day, the people went out and they gathered quail, and no one gathered less than 10 homers. Um, I guess Homer Simpson used to be a weight of measurement back in that day. Dad joke, sorry. Then they spread out all around the camp. So something that seemed impossible all of a sudden was happening right in front of their eyes. And this great leadership lesson for Moses, God's Spirit bringing support to him and bringing supply, it was a great lesson of maturity for Moses. You know, Steven Spielberg, he had just finished making the movie E.T. He was presented with the script, the story of Schindler's List. And he didn't make that movie for 10 years. He said, I wasn't mature enough yet to make that movie. You know, many times in our leadership in our lives, we need to grow up a little bit that, that God needs to teach us some lessons about people that we don't have to carry the direction of people and all the decisions on our own shoulders. So here's a final word of comfort. Let's, let's read the, the end of this particular account. Verse 33, now while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague, the people who had been the complainers. Therefore, the place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means the graves of complaint, the graves of the complainers. And there they buried the people who craved other food. Just a couple of lessons, I think, that come out of this. Number one, complainers will always self-destruct. They always will. So if you're trying to, to please other people, you know what, it, it may be their problem but it may be your problem too. You may need to get over your own self-importance and let God deal with the complainers. I've outlived and outlasted a lot of complainers. I know what I'm talking about. What you need to keep doing is the next right thing. Just obey what God tells you to do and all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well, says Teresa of Avila. So complainers will always self-destruct. And Moses would go on to live other adventures. There's a sign outside of a store in Nottingham, England that says this, we have 
been established in business for over 100 years and have been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We've made money and we've lost money. We've suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, bad payers. We've been cussed and discussed. We've been messed about. We have been lied to. We've been held up. We've been robbed. We've been swindled. The only reason we're still in business is to see what will happen next. Complainers will always self-destruct. And Moses, with his maturity, would go on to face other adventures. So if people are causing you anxiety, I want to give you two prayers this week. One is our memory verse for Sunday morning. It'll be in our worship uh, announcement sheet. Psalm 127, excuse me, Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hear those words again, because think about it. What people think about you does not affect your eternity. It's what God thinks about you that determines your eternity. What other people think about you, whether they like you or not, whether they approve of you or not, whether they love you or not, does not affect your eternity. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Only what God thinks matters. The other prayer I want to give you, and this will be the prayer that I close with, is a prayer written by Catherine Marshall. And it's a pretty famous prayer, and it's known as the prayer of relinquishment. She originally wrote this as a prayer of having a health issue and not being able to overcome it, so she relinquishes that to God. But it could be that you need to pray this prayer today because you're wanting to relinquish the approval of uh, maybe a parent that you've tried to win their approval, a boss that's impossible to please. You, you, you even go so far as you don't want your children to dislike you. You know, all these things, very personal. Maybe it's time to relinquish that to the Lord. So allow me to pray this prayer for us, and then I'm going to give you one final charge before we're done. Let's pray this prayer of Catherine Marshall. Father, for a long time we have pleaded before you with this deep desire of our heart. So now, would you just for a moment, that person you're trying to please, bring them to your mind, bring them before the Lord. Yet the more I clamor for your help on this, the more remote you have seemed. We confess our demanding spirit in this matter. We have tried suggesting to you ways that our prayers should have been answered. To our shame, we've even bargained with you. Yet we know that trying to manipulate the Lord of the universe is utter foolishness. We want to trust you, Father. Our spirit knows your truth, that you are forever trustworthy, even when we feel nothing. That you are here, that you love us, that you alone know what is best for us. Perhaps all along, you have been waiting for us to give up our self-effort. At last, and I'm going to change this to first person. At last, I want you in my life even more than I want the approval of name them before the Lord. So now in an act of my will, I relinquish this and them to you. I will accept your will, whatever it may be. Thank you for counting this act of will as a decision of the real person even when my emotions want to protest. I ask you to hold me true to this decision. 
To you, Lord God, who alone is worthy of worship, I bend a knee of thanksgiving that you will work all things together for my good. I relinquish this to you. Amen. Maybe the thing you need to relinquish is your life. I want you to think about this again. And no matter what other people think of you, it doesn't affect your eternity. It's only your relationship with God that determines your eternal state with Him forever. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, why not? And why not now? To relinquish and surrender your whole life to Him so that you can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I need not be afraid of anyone else ever again. That's what it means to live a life of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to make that decision on the front page of our website, TulsaFBC.org, you can click a button that says, I'm ready to make a decision. That will come to me, and we can talk this next week. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.